sorry, it's 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. Please help us as we dive into this teaching time tonight. Lord, thank you for these faithful people who are here. Father, I pray that it's a, that it's a help to them, but more than anything else, that we bring glory to you, that we learn how to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I'm glad you all are here tonight. This is the most important session, and um, I'm probably not going to get through this whole handout tonight. So now everybody pay attention, okay? Everyone. If you're paying attention, say amen. Amen. Hang on to this, because what you're going to do is you're going to start filling it out, and if you lose it between now and the next time that we're together, you won't have those notes together. So keep track of this. We will have extra handouts every week, but make sure that you keep track of this because you're going to want to refer to these things over and over again. Lord willing, we'll have a handout every week for every session. And this first session, there's quite a bit of material, and we're going to try to get through as much of it as we can this evening, but I'm sure it's going to take at least two sessions to get through this. So I want us to look at tonight, we need to establish the theme of the author. Establish the theme of the author. If you want to understand the Bible, if you, if you want to know what it's, you know, what the purpose of the Bible is, then it's really important to understand what the Bible's about. Is that fair? What is the theme of the Bible? So we're going to establish the theme of the Bible. Look at the, uh, at your handout. And let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So when you look at the Bible, it, there's 40 different human authors written over a period of 1,500 years. Uh, there are so many different issues that are dealt with. These men, they had different backgrounds, different levels of education, uh, different cultures that they came from, different continents. It was a, it's an amazing thing, all of the different men that God used to pen the Bible. And yet when you read the Bible, you can tell there's one author. And that author is the Holy Spirit of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And then God inspired the authors to write down what those holy men of God had spoken, what they had said. Now, look at your handout and fill it in. There's a day on God's calendar that he has circled, underlined, starred, exclamation pointed, and smiley faced. How many of you remember Mark Trotter saying that to us? got to be 20 years ago in the other auditorium. It is the most important day in history. It is not, however, the day most Christians think. It is not the day God watched his only begotten son brutalized on the cross. You see, one of the reasons that there's such misunderstanding about the Bible. Now, how many of you know that that there's misunderstanding about how to interpret the Bible? I am going to do one session on Bible interpretation. Why are there so many different forms of interpretation? What are they? But ultimately, the Bible says that interpretation belongs to God. 
No prophecy. The Bible says that, that uh, no scripture is of any private interpretation. It doesn't matter what it means to us. It matters what it means to God. Why are there so many different interpretations? Because people don't know what the theme of the Bible is. They don't understand the heart of the author. And if we're going to understand the Bible, that's why this is the most important subject in studying the Bible. We have to know what its theme is. And the theme is that there is a day on God's calendar that is more important than any other day in history. And it hasn't happened yet. When we make that day, when we make the theme of the Bible the redemption of mankind. How many of you ever heard that? There's a scarlet thread that runs through the Bible and redemption, the redemption of mankind is the theme of the Bible. How many of you have heard that said, most people, that's the way that the Bible is understood. That is absolutely wrong. Is there redemption in the Bible? Praise God. Anybody glad you're saved? You've been redeemed? I'm glad that's there. That's not the theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible is, it is the day, that day, the, the, the theme, the, the Bible talks about that day that God has marked it's the day the Lord Jesus Christ returns in all his glory to set up his kingdom on the earth. And for the first time since man sinned in the garden, he will finally receive the glory that is due his name. That's the theme of the Bible. Does everybody have a handout? I want everybody filling it out, especially you disciplers, any of you teachers. I want you to be filling out your own handout. Very important. It is the day the Lord Jesus Christ returns in all his glory to set up his kingdom on the earth. And for the first time since man sinned in the garden, he will finally receive the glory that is due his name. That is the theme of the Bible. You see, when we make the redemption of mankind or salvation, the salvation of man, the theme of the Bible, that makes man the theme of the Bible. When we do that, we're in danger of idolatry. See, the theme of the Bible is... Christ's kingdom glory or the day of the Lord. The theme of the Bible is Christ's... Matt, are you filling one out? The theme of the Bible is Christ's kingdom glory or the day of the Lord. And we're not going to take the time to go through that right now. We will later on. But remember when we're going through the book of Zechariah, how many times we see in the Bible, that day, that day, that day, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. That's the day that God has marked on his calendar that that is the most important day because it, the, the whole theme of the Bible is there's one day coming when Jesus Christ will sit on his throne receiving the glory that is due his name. Every person at every level of spiritual growth needs to be reminded of this. So, and, and here's why. If I come to the Bible thinking that the Bible is all about man's salvation, and that salvation is first and foremost about me, that mentality is going to ultimately lead me to approach the Bible, the church, and the whole Christian life with some level of entitlement mentality. How many of you know people that believe that God owes them something? Right, That whole only believe ministries, name it, claim it, where we can tell Jesus what he's supposed to be doing for us. 
in the teaching from, from Hagen and, and uh, Joyce Myers and these other uh, word of faith uh, preachers is that because Satan defeated Jesus on the cross, we can now command him and demand that he, uh, that he give us what we want. Did Satan defeat Jesus on the cross? No, on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember what they were talking about, the death that he would accomplish. Jesus accomplished his death. Satan didn't accomplish that death. And so when we understand that the Bible is about us, it changes the way that we view the church, the Christian life, everything about the Bible. Listen, this will cause me to function as if God exists for me rather than me existing for God. Again, think about all of the Christian music. Remember that, that thing that we showed at uh, the kickoff a few years ago. Every song has to have an ocean or maybe a river to cross. You know, all, all of that stuff that's in, in modern Christian music. And about how, you know, my life is hard and what God's doing for me. Isn't that pretty much what most Christian music is about? Do you see the problem with thinking that, that Christianity is about you? That Christianity is about me? This is why we have to know the theme of the Bible. We can never understand it unless we understand the purpose. It produces a mentality that unwittingly sends me into the Bible asking the question, how can I position my life to receive the maximum blessing? Rather than, how can I position my life to bring Christ the maximum glory? There are books, The God-Blessed Life. How about a life that brings Christ glory? Now, how many of you believe that if you bring Christ glory, he will bless you? The blessings of God are a blessing. I'm glad that he has promised to bless us and that he does bless us and that every good thing we have comes from him. That's a, that is amazing that God does that for us. But when we start living our lives always expecting something new from God rather than realizing that we exist for him. I begin to use the Bible to try and figure out how to use God to please me rather than going to the Bible to learn how I can please God so that he can use me. Let me read that again. I begin to use the Bible to try and figure out how to use God to please me rather than going to the Bible to learn how I can please God so that he can use me. I don't know about you guys. I want the rest of my life. I want God to use me. I want to accomplish things for God. That, that's my desire. And yet, I, I feel like so much of my prayer life is asking God for stuff. And prayer is asking, of course. But man, much of my prayer life ought to be glorifying Him, praising Him, thanking Him for all that He does. Look with me at, uh, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Did you know that we live in perilous times? Perilous times. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And there are about 20 different characteristics that will define these perilous times. But what's the first one? Look at verse 2. For men shall be lovers... Of their own selves, covetous, 
How about that? Boasters, proud, blasphemers. It's so interesting when you look at the way that the Bible says the perilous times are going to come, and it's described that men shall be lovers of their own selves. Who would have ever thought that the love of self would so engulf us in these last days that even when we read the Bible, it would cause us to see ourselves as the primary figure? Does anybody feel a little ouch in there? We really do. We, we look at the Bible as if we're digging for treasure rather than looking for ways to bring glory to God. And it's all about that day that Jesus Christ is going to sit on the throne. So when we miss the theme of the Bible, when we don't understand it, I, 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 I could have started this by asking you, what is the theme of the Bible? What is the theme of the Bible? And we mention it over and over and over again, but it's been a lot of years since we taught on it. And I would imagine there are people in this room that would have said the redemption of mankind. And you're not bad people for saying that. That's just a wrong, a faulty approach to the Bible that we were all taught because we did not understand how the Bible itself is put together. It's an interesting thing that the Bible, the Bible keeps the focus on Christ and his kingdom and his glory off of me. When I focus properly, it'll keep the focus on Christ and his kingdom and his glory and off me and my kingdom and my glory when I read the Bible properly. And God has made this the theme of the Bible from cover to cover. And this is what makes knowing and understanding the theme of the Bible so important. So the Bible begins with a battle for the throne. It begins that way. We're not going to take the time to look at the passages because we've, we've looked at them many times. But if you remember Ezekiel chapter 28, the, the, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Isaiah chapter 14, Lucifer says, I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will be like the Most High. That's what Satan wanted. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, he said. Now, listen, it's very important that we understand that Satan had a throne and he was cast down. Why art thou cast down, O Lucifer? He cast him down. Why? Because he was lifted up in pride because of his own beauty, according to Ezekiel chapter 28. So the Bible begins, when did that happen? That happened before man was created. There was a battle for a throne. And how does the Bible end? The book of Revelation ends with someone sitting on a throne, receiving glory, being worshipped in his majesty, with songs being sung to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who deserves all praise. That's how the Bible ends. That is the theme of the Bible. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign, how long? Forever and ever. Philippians 2, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of the Father. Psalm 66 and verse 4. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. That is the theme of the Bible. That's what it is about. From beginning to end, it is about a battle for a throne. And that one day, Jesus Christ is going to sit on that throne. Let's look at some examples. The theme of the Bible is seen through a record of sevens. Through a record of sevens. The first seven days of the creative week. Before we dive into that, I want you to think about this number seven. So, and how many of you know the number seven is important in the Bible? But in understanding the theme of the Bible, you're going to find out just how important it really is. And we're going to spend some time going through it. One of the things about the number seven is the way that God has ordered life around it. And if you think about the number three and the number seven, Number three, of course, the Godhead. And number seven, the number of perfection. When we start looking at how many times and the way that number seven is used in the Bible, we begin to see some really important things. So think about the seven days in a week. So it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Are you all feeling blessed now? Did you learn something right there? So the seventh day, the seventh day, is Saturday. And then we go back to Sunday. Is Sunday the eighth day or is Sunday the first day of the week again? See, God has ordered it in sevens, and we're going to find that that actually is a very important thing. The number of the days in the week becomes something very important when we understand the theme of the Bible. The Number seven is associated with key events in the Bible. Key events in the Bible. The first seven days of God's creative week. It's interesting. In Genesis chapter one, let's go ahead and look there. Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. I'm hearing a lot of a, a page turning. It's the first page. <laughs> That's just a little joke. And look what it says in verse 5. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were what? So the evening and the morning were the first day. Verse 8. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And he goes on, and he sees that it's good. And he, verse 11, and he brings forth, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. 
And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind. And the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Drop down to verse 19. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Drop down to 23. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And when you drop down to verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now let me ask you something. I meant to bring the book in. I, I have a book written by a guy named Jack Treber on leadership, and there's a chapter in there on rest, that, that you know the man of God needs rest. Even God needed rest because he had worked for six days and he rested on the seventh. Is that one of the most blasphemous things you've ever heard? How did God create the world? Let there be light. Let there be trees. Let there be stars, right? It took him six days to do that. And on the seventh day, he said, Man, that was tough. Do you really think that's what was going on? God's trying to teach us something. We're going to find out what that is. You see, these sevens, these first seven days of the creative week, it's important for us to understand that there's a message there. But look at how important seven is. The number seven is a very significant number in the Bible. And you might have a hard time keeping up with with all of these examples as I go through them. But you can go back and, and listen to it online if you want to fill it out. But... In the first 34 verses of the Bible, it's nothing more than a detail of the seven days of creation. Then think about Noah. Yeah, he took the animals two by two, but, but of the clean animals, how many did he take? Seven of each. Jacob, how many years did he work for Rachel? Ooh, some of you are stumbling. How many years did he work for Rachel? Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, it was really 14. But that's because he got tender-eyed Leah. I wonder what that means. I wonder what she looked like. One time, uh, my brother had this stuff that tightens up the bags under your eyes. And so at my niece's wedding, my nephew, Josh, he talked him into putting some of that on his face. And I looked at him, and he's going like this. I said, what's wrong? He said, I can't feel my face. (laughs) I wonder if that's what tender-eyed meant. I don't know. But so how many years did Jacob think he was working for Rachel? Seven. In Egypt, you had seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. In the book of Joshua, they were told to march around, the children of Israel told to march around the walls of Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, they're supposed to march around it seven times. And they had seven priests and they were supposed to blow the trumpet seven times. Break the pitchers and 
The number seven was vital to that. In the candlestick, the, the, the golden candlestick in the tabernacle, I said in the candlestick. In the tabernacle, the golden candlestick in the tabernacle had seven branches. Notice menorah has eight. It's different than what it was in Bible times. What about Solomon? It took Solomon seven years to build the temple, and then he had seven days of feasts when the temple was completed. Job had seven sons, and during his time of trouble, he had his friends come, and they sat with him seven days. The number seven in the book of Job is an important thing. Um, And they offered seven rams and seven bullocks. Naaman the leper, he dipped and washed in the Jordan seven times. The day of atonement, Leviticus 16, the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat seven times. On the feast, God gave seven feasts to the nation of Israel. On the cross, Jesus Christ spoke seven times. The book of Acts, we're told to look out among you seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and those men became deacons. The book of Revelation is such an interesting thing. In the book of Revelation, it's addressed to seven churches from the seven spirits of God before the throne. There are seven golden candlesticks. Jesus is holding seven stars in his right hand. There are seven lamps of fire burning before his throne. There's a seven-sealed book, the lamb having seven horns and seven eyes. There are seven angels of the seven churches. Do you think that number seven is important in the book of Revelation? It becomes very, very important. There are seven angels who sound seven trumpets. There are seven thunders. There's a beast with seven heads. There's a dragon having... Are you all getting all this written down? There are, there's a dragon having seven heads and seven crowns upon his heads. There are seven plagues, seven vials, seven mountains, seven kings. The number seven appears 59 times in the book of Revelation. So remember, the book of Revelation is God completing his perfect revelation to mankind. And he emphasizes that number seven 59 times in the book of Revelation. Do you think number seven is important? Very important to God. God works according to a pattern of seven. God works according to a pattern of seven. This is pretty interesting. There are seven days in Exodus 23.12. There are seven weeks in Leviticus 23.15. There are seven months in Leviticus 23. And there are seven years in Leviticus 25. There are seven weeks of years in Leviticus 25. And then what are you supposed to do? You have the year of Jubilee. There are seven, actually seven decades. After that, you have the year of Jubilee, seven decades in Daniel chapter 9. Then there are seven millenniums. Let's, let's look at this, seven millenniums. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. All right, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You see that? I think that's a pretty important verse. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Evening and morning were the first day. And we went through all of this just a minute ago. Fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, 
He rested on the seventh day. I want you to notice something about this seventh day. I want you to notice something. It was the day God rested. Now, we spoke on that a minute ago. But not only that, sorry, on that handout, on that Genesis, that's just first day, second day, third day. So key things to notice about the seventh day, this should be the third page of your handout. Key things to notice about the seventh day. It was a day God rested. It was a day God rested. It had no evening or morning. That's interesting, isn't it? The seventh day has no evening or morning. It was a day God blessed. It was a day God blessed. It was a day God sanctified. Remember what sanctified means? Set apart for the Lord. It's my day or the day of the Lord. My day or the day of the Lord. What do we call Sunday? The Lord's day. The day of the Lord. Remember, we're talking about God's calendar and how significant the number seven is on the Lord's plan. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. It's very interesting. We live, we are living at the end of that 6,000 years. And however you do the math, so let's, let's say that Jesus was born in the year zero. Now, he probably wasn't. It was probably 4 B.C. or something like that. But let's just, for easy math's sake, let's, let's call it the year zero. And we go to 6,000 years. That would take us to the year 2000. If we start all the way at the beginning of time and we go to now, that's the sixth millennium. Now, Jesus lived on earth for how many years? About 33 and a half. About 33 and a half. So if we are doing that math, 20, 30, and I'll tell you, have you noticed how many times the year 2030 is coming up in the news? That's when, that's the year that China is hoping to have superiority. That's the, the goal for the United Nations to have so many things done, the year 2030. So it's, it's pretty interesting if you look at it. If Jesus was, listen, if Jesus was born 4 B.C., 2030, if we had the rapture in 2030, 2027, you have those three and a half years that Jesus walked with his disciples, halfway through that, the great tribulation. When you start looking at these numbers, I'm just telling you, however you do the math, 4 B.C., 5 A.D., if God's plan of 6,000 years of labor for man, and then in that seventh day, he rests. Remember, 
Selah, 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 all through the book of Psalms. Every time you see that Selah, that's a rest. Every time you see that word Selah, it's about the millennial rest of the nation of Israel and us ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ on the earth on that day of rest. And that day, when Jesus Christ is seated on his throne in Jerusalem, and all the nations of the world are gathered together before him to worship him, and he receives the glory that is due his name, that is the theme of the Bible. And if this verse, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Do you think Peter thought that that was important? Be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day with, is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. I want to show you something that, that ties into this. Revelation chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Notice that thousand years keeps coming up. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now, Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples and he's explaining things to him. It says, for the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, I read the, uh, the Last Days According to Jesus by R.C. Sproul. And Sproul uses this verse to prove that Jesus Christ actually returned in 70 A.D. It was what's called a preterist. That is that all, it means past, all of the prophecies about Christ's return have already been fulfilled. That's what Sproul believed. Isn't that weird? How many think that's kind of weird? Right? Why? Why did, why did they believe that? Because the people that were alive when Jesus said, the people that he was speaking, there be some that won't taste death until you see the, the Son of Man come in his glory. What happened? Well, Matthew chapter 17. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Now, I want you to think about something. It's pretty amazing. What are the first four words of that verse? Remember, the seventh day is the day of rest. The seventh day is the day that the king returns and receives the glory that is due his name. Very interesting. Matthew chapter 17. 
Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles. Why did he want to make the tabernacles? The Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus fulfills that by tabernacling with his people for a thousand years. Peter thought it was happening. This is it. This is the kingdom. Because you said some of you will see the king in his glory, the son of man in his glory. While while he yet spake, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. I want you to see something. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you, look at what it says, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? The power and coming. Remember, he saw, he saw Christ in his glory. Now, it was still a veiled glory. If Jesus had revealed all of his glory, the heavens and the earth would pass away and there'd be found no place for them, right? That's what it says in Revelation chapter 20. But he revealed the glory, as much glory as will be revealed when he returns to sit on his throne in the kingdom. At the end of the kingdom, Jesus Christ reveals all of his glory as he sits on the throne, on the white throne, and that's when the heavens and the earth flee away. Are you all with me? Are you following me on this? So what he saw... Was Jesus the way that he will look in his kingdom glory when he returns? And he's learned that after six days. Let's read on. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his what? Majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. What happens after six days when Jesus Christ reveals his glory and he is seen in his majesty and he is receiving the glory of the Father? That's the theme of the Bible. And the day when that's going to happen is after six days. You see how this is the most important thing, this is the most important thing to understand when you study your Bible. This picture is all through the scriptures. It's the first illustration that's given in the Bible in those seven days of creation. The Bible begins with it and the Bible ends with it. This is fun. Luke 9 and verse 28. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, He took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Now, sometimes people think that's a contradiction, but no, think about it. After six days and about eight days is the seventh day. It's the seventh day. That's the theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible. Now, I want us to stop there on our handout for tonight. And we're going to take these steps and finish it next week, or actually week after next. Go ahead and fold those up if you want to, and look up here, and I'll finish up. On Sunday mornings, we are teaching through Psalm 119, and the reason for teaching through Psalm 119 is we want to learn to love God's Word. We want to learn to love God's Word. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. 
actually Revelation 3. I may come back and teach the entire key of David, but since we're going through Psalm 119, I'm, I'm going to delay that. But look what it says in verse 7, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth. All right, so the key of David, when he has the key of David, then he opens and no man shuts. We have a reference, about the only cross-reference we have to that key of David is um, in Isaiah. We're not going to take the time to go there, but it's in Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. And what happened was Eliakim was given the key to the treasury of Israel. And that key was on kind of a, a ribbon, and it was hung on his shoulder. And that gave him access. That gave him access to the treasury. And in Isaiah chapter 22, and he can open it, and no man can shut it, and he can shut it, and no man can open it. When Jesus says he has the key of David, what's the key of David? The key of David is what opens the Bible to us. That's, that's why the church at Philadelphia was so powerful. Look at what it says in verse... Eight, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So the key of David, when you have the key of David, what was the key to David's life? Was it his, how many of you would say, it was his morality? It was his pacifism. Why wasn't he allowed to build the temple? Because he's a bloody man. When we think of David, we think of David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. So what's the key? His love for God's Word. His love for God's Word. So there are really two keys that we have to have in order to truly know how to study the Bible and understand it. Number one, we need to love it. That's the key of David. Number two, we have to have the key of theme we need to know not necessarily the theme of the Bible, but the theme of the author. And that God cares about one thing, his glory. Do you know what glorifies God? Showing mercy to mankind. Do you know what glorifies God? Creating. Do you know what glorifies God? Giving grace. But the theme is not creation. The theme is not grace. The theme is not mercy. The theme is glory. And if you understand that our place in this world is to bring glory to Him, and you approach the Bible that way, it'll change everything. And if you understand that the Bible is not about the redemption of mankind, if it was, it would end with the resurrection of Christ. The theme of the Bible is the throne that Jesus Christ is going to sit on. And that's why that's what ends the Bible. That's the theme. From cover to cover, every bit of it. So let me ask you two questions and we'll be done. Do you love his word? And are you searching the scriptures to find ways to bring glory to him? Or are you searching scriptures to find, way to be blessed, find ways to be blessed? It's a big difference, isn't it? 
God has promised us blessing and He has promised us a reward. But honestly, those things come as we bring glory to Him. Let's do that. That's how we are going to study the Bible. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Help us as we continue studying this. And Father, I pray that it'll be a blessing and a help to your people. But more than anything else, that will bring glory to you. Help us as we exalt your word.